Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 6 of Under the Shell, presented by Terrapin Sports Central. Today's episode, we will be sitting down with former Maryland quarterback Scott McBrien and previewing the upcoming slate for this week. I'm your co-host, Cavett Ireland, joined by Sam Jane, Brendan YSL, Michael Big Mike House. Let's get it going. This week's guest started at quarterback for the Terps from 2002 to 2003, winning the 2002 Peach Bowl MVP and 2004 Gator Bowl MVP with the Terps. He has the sixth most passing yards in Maryland football history and the fourth most passing touchdowns. He spent time playing for NFL Europe and the Canadian Football League. Give it up for Scott McBrien. One really interesting thing about you is that uh, when I was doing some research, it sounded as if um, baseball was kind of this thing, your dream almost, in terms of that was what you wanted to do professionally. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that transition to football really started? Um, you know, where you decided, well, maybe football is for me and not baseball. Yeah, uh, that, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it was more of me just being a wimp. Um, you know, I didn't want to play football early on, right? Um, but I kind of discovered that I had somewhat of an arm. So I decided to take that to the baseball field. Uh, you know, and I did fall in love with baseball as a kid, right? Um, you know, grew, grew up playing baseball at, at, at you know, for a, a lot of different teams here throughout Montgomery County and um, obviously played with my school buddies and, and played on different select teams and met a lot of other guys playing baseball. And, you know, I kind of developed into this baseball player, um, you know, with an arm at that age, right? Um, you know, we're talking in, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade. Um, so I took that to the pitching mound um, and I was fast too. And, uh, you know, I just love playing the game of baseball and, you know, my family, you know, my, my father, you know, threw me into the game and he was a baseball guy and he was playing softball at the time. So introduced me to the game and, you know, I did, I did fall in love with it. Um, you know, I, I, I had tried getting into football um, at that age and, you know, I don't know if I was too young or what, uh, maybe I was uh, and I just didn't want to hit anybody, didn't want to buckle a chin strap, didn't want to put a helmet on. And uh, so I didn't really I didn't really get to the football field till my later years. But, um, you know, obviously, I uh, once I got into it and I said I would I would say nowadays it's kind of late getting into it. I didn't get into it till I was about 11 years old. Uh, nowadays, kids are playing at six, seven years old. So um, but back then I was 11. And, you know, from from the moment I buckled the chin strap at Maplewood Boys Club when I was shoot 11 years old I uh, I fell in love with the game of football and I, I never looked back and then you didn't originally start your football career at the University of Maryland you transferred from West Virginia kind of what went into that decision to transfer over yeah a lot went into that one Michael um I um you know coming out of high school I went to DeMath I actually went to good council for for a couple of years and then transferred to DeMatha but um you know coming out of DeMatha I only had one offer um, so I didn't have a choice, right? Um, I wanted to go to Maryland. Obviously, grow, I grew up, you know, a big Terp fan. Grew up going to Maryland games uh, as a kid, and I always loved um, following the Terps, and um, I was a huge Maryland guy back in the day, and I wanted to be a part of College Park and, and uh, the, the, the Maryland football program, but I didn't have the opportunity, right? So um, I had one college offer, and that was West Virginia, and I ended up taking it. Um, and I, I will admit, I went up to Morgantown um, during my visit, and I did fall in love with the football environment, right? That's a college town. That's a football town. Uh, and I fell in love with Morgantown. And, and most importantly, I, I knew that they wanted me, right? And that was 
that was important to me. That was important to my mother, my family. Um, they wanted me. And uh, so I ended up taking them up on the offer. And uh, I enjoyed my time in Morgantown. You know, getting into the reason that I left and came home, you know, there's a lot to it. But mainly, um, you know, the, the coach that recruited me, Don Nealon, retired. Um, I'll never forget. He, you know, I, I started the Syracuse game I, my freshman year. And we ended up losing that game. Uh, it was a heartbreaking loss. And in the locker room, uh, he said, hey, I'm, I'm retiring. So that that was a, a, a gut punch. Uh, he was one of the reasons that I came to, to West Virginia. So um, and, and one of the reasons why I left and I had an opportunity to come home and play in front of my hometown, my family, my friends and uh, come home and play at University of Maryland. So I, I took full advantage. Yeah, so obviously you transferred. Um... Uh, transfer portal then is way different from the transfer portal now. So what was that process like and how did coaches reach out to you and uh, what was your experience? Yeah, I wish I could have played right away. Um, you know, uh, I might've had a, a few more records uh, out of college park, but I had to sit out the full year. I, um, you know, and actually it was great because it was a good learning experience for me uh, because the quarterback at the time was Sean Hill, who was a senior at the time. And I got to learn behind him. I didn't have any pressure. I didn't have to play right away. Didn't have to get thrown into the fire. I had a full um, season to really learn from him, study the playbook, study the offense, get reps in practice and really mature too, uh, on and off the field. So I, I will say that as much as I wanted to play, it was the best thing for me, guys. I wanted to, um, uh, it was a chance for me to really sit back with no pressure and just learn and develop and, and mature on and off the field. Um, so it was a good year to kind of get under my belt to really prepare myself um, to compete that that following spring for the starting job. So it was the best thing for me. Yeah, Scott, obviously, I think coaches, if if they had their way, that's what a majority of them would still hope for when it comes to the transfer portal is guys, you know, when you're pulling a quarterback, especially being able to learn behind a you know, a, a experienced starter. And then once that battle comes, it's all right. Now you got to now you got to compete. Right. It doesn't really seem that's how it goes anymore, especially when you pull a kid um, as a freshman and they're they're sitting for a year. You know, it's like I got to bolt. I got to go find, you know, a new school. And that's why you see, I think, a lot of hot quarterbacks transfer out. What type of impact do you think that has not only on programs, but on the individuals themselves? Yeah, I, you know, it, it kind of goes both way, guys. I mean, I, I do see both sides of it. Um, you know, if coaches can do it, why can't players? Right. And and that that was kind of the thought process back in the day is like, you know, you didn't want players to kind of get strapped with their hands behind their back, stuck in a program that's not a right fit for them. Right. Um, and for me, um, you know, once we had that coaching change, I was stuck uh, and it wasn't a fit for me. Unfortunately, as much as I wanted to be in Morgantown, as much as I wanted to play for the Mountaineers and be that starting quarterback, you know, I, I it just wasn't the right fit for me. Wasn't the right coaching staff, wasn't the right offense. Um, obviously, I love my teammates and I love the town of Morgantown, but it just wasn't a fit. So why am I not allowed to leave, right? Why do I have to waste my next three years in college um, stuck not playing where I might be able to transfer to a different school and be able to, you know, you know, back then it wasn't get on the field right away, but it was like, hey, I'm going to play my final two years, my junior and senior year, right? I mean, that was the perfect situation for me. And it's unfortunate, it was unfortunate back then because players were not able to, to, you know, guys didn't transfer as much as they they do today. And guys were stuck, really good players were stuck 
at programs that weren't great fits for them. And it was a shame because a lot of guys wasted their talent, wasted their college careers sitting on the sideline, right? Where I kind of took that leap of faith and I said, you know what? I don't know where this is going to go, guys, but I know this isn't a fit for me and I'm going to do my best to kind of get on the field. And, and I had a really great supporting staff behind me. Um, I had family. I had old coaches at DeMatha. I had uh, family and friends that really kind of supported me through that decision. It wasn't me making that decision by myself because, um, you know, you got to remember I'm 18, 19 years old. I don't know really what I'm doing. Um, all I knew is that, like, I didn't want to be here anymore. Right. Today, it's it's you know, I feel bad for the coaches. Right. Because it's it's all these players on one year deals. Um, you know, you don't know if you're going to have that same roster intact the following year. And I can't imagine that's got to be tough as a coach, um, knowing that, hey, I might have a totally different team next year due to, you know, the new transfer rule, right? The new NIL stuff that's going on. It's, it's, uh, I think it's great for kids to be able to take advantage of the transfer portal, to be able to hop around, to play at different programs. But, you know, it's got to be tough as heck being a coach. That's for sure. I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's crazy, especially, you know, both sides, but. Um, interesting to see how that changes. Yeah, so you had the great opportunity playing under uh, Ralph Region, considered one of the best Maryland football coaches of all time. Um, what were your experiences playing under him? you have any favorite stories from the fridge? Um, yeah, uh, Ralph was great for me, um, and he was great for Maryland too. Um, you know, before I got to Maryland, it was Ron Vander Linden, and, um, you know, Coach Vander Linden, for whatever reason, wasn't able to get it done uh, in College Park. And so when 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 he left and, and Coach Friesian came into College Park, we're talking 2000, right, or 2001, um, you know, we, they, they were, and I say they because I was not there, um, you know, before Ralph, but, you know, we were starving to win, right? I mean, we were we were winning four or five games prior to, to Ralph coming to town. So we were hungry. Um, we were going to do whatever it took to win, right? And Ralph was going to bring it. Uh, and, you know, he knew what he was doing. He, you know, he had won a, a national championship under George, uh, um, at Georgia Tech and, um, you know, went to the Super Bowl with the state, with the uh, Chargers, Stan Humphreys, and we were running that offense, believe it or not. So he was, uh, he was a definitely, uh, uh, an X's and O's guy. And, and we had not seen that before in college park. And, um, he, he brought life, uh, into that program and, you know, it just a story to to kind of, you know, that, that kind of brings us to full circle is my first year starting, we go to Morgantown. It's my first time being back in West Virginia and we've got a three hour bus ride. Right. So usually players take that time to kind of put their headphones on, listen to music, maybe sleep um, and just kind of use that time to themselves. Well, uh, I was looking forward to that bus ride to kind of, you know, sit back, relax and not do much. And um, coach pulled me to the front of the bus and say, you know what, I'm, I want you to sit right next to me for three hours. I'm going to quiz you and we're going to go over this offense and the game plan. And I said, oh, God, here we go. So he sat next to me and quizzed me for no lie, three straight hours, meaning, hey, what's what's the defense going to line up to when we go to this formation? Where's this blitz going to come from when we throw two receivers to this side? What's your check when we see a bear defense? I mean, he went through the whole game plan and he was going to do everything in his power to prepare me for that game. Because if you remember back then, um, we had lost two games early. We lost to um, Florida State and we lost to Notre, we lost to, uh, Notre Dame 
the opening game in the Meadowlands. Then we've ended up losing to Florida State. So we, we had lost two games early on, and we're talking week four. Here we are with two losses already. So um, coach was not going to let me fail, right? And I hated him at the time for that because I wanted to chill and relax. Um, but I'll tell you what, it was the best thing that he ever did because I ended up having one of the best games of my year that season uh, in Morgantown, throwing for a, a, a bunch of touchdowns, running running a 20-yard touchdown, and we ended up beating them pretty good, 41-7 or whatever it was. So I was thankful, even though I hated him at the time. How how hostile? I mean, Morgantown, they like you hear stuff. I've never been, but I heard it gets wild down there. Like when you came back, what was that like? Were fans chirping you constantly? Did you hear any good one-liners? Were you like all your old high school? Like, what was that? I mean, that shit would have been wild. Morgantown's wild and wonderful. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it lives up to its reputation for sure. Um, you know, I uh, a cool story about that game. I was, you know, that was, you know, my first time being back to Morgantown since I left, right? And obviously it was a big game for us. It was a big out of conference game for us. And we had already had two losses under our belt. Um, and that was a big game for me because it was a confidence booster for me. Right. Um, but, you know, my guys on my team, they knew where I came from. Right. They knew kind of what I went through at West Virginia and they knew that this was a big game for me personally. So, you know, they actually and I was never really a rah-rah guy, right? Even though I was a quarterback, I was never one to lead huddles, meaning, you know, being a rah-rah chant guy, getting everybody fired up. I always was the last one out of the tunnel, running out of the tunnel on the field. Um, but I'll I'll never forget Steve Suter, Rich Parson pulled me up to the front of the line and said, you're leading us out uh, when we come out of the tunnel. And I didn't want to do it, but I thought that was pretty cool for them. And that was really a uh, a really feel good moment for me knowing that, you know what, shit, these guys are behind me 100%. These guys got my back. And, uh, you know, it was pretty cool leading those guys out of the tunnel in front of a sold out crowd in Morgantown, which is, you know, 60,000 screaming fans, not an empty seat in the house. And I'm here leading them out of the tunnel my first time back. So that was a cool moment for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you talk about like the, the environment there. What are some of the other memorable environments you played in? Yeah, I mean, Morgantown's obviously a great one. Back then, we were in the ACC, so, um, you know, uh, some of the memorable ACC uh, venues were uh, Florida State, Tallahassee was a big one, too, um, you know, and that's 80,000 screaming fans uh, with the horse coming out on the 50-yard line, throwing the spear. That's pretty cool. Um, we actually got a penalty uh, at Florida State for our guys jumping on the uh, the 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 uh, the symbol, the logo on the 50-yard line, which wasn't great for us, but um Clemson's obviously great um what's that the coolest 30 seconds or 60 seconds in college football whatever they call it when they come down running down the hill um that was a cool experience for us um and then you know NC State believe it or not NC State was a cool environment too that was sold out as well because you had Philip Rivers back then uh and Philip Rivers was a quarterback that we went against and he never beat us I mean Philip Rivers there was only one school in the ACC that he never beaten that was Maryland um, and I was a part of two of those games. Um, uh, the first year was was here in College Park, and then the second year was at uh, was at NC State, and that was his senior day. Um, and it was sold out, screaming fans. Uh, and I I don't know if you got you probably guys probably don't remember that game, but we ended up winning. We were down fourteen or seventeen in the fourth quarter, and we ended up coming back to win. And um, um, it you know when that last whistle blew. Um, fans were, were throwing every beer bottle and every Pepsi bottle and everything they could find in the stands onto the field. So we actually had to have 
security escort us off of the field and we were told to all keep our helmets on. So that was a wild atmosphere back then. Yeah. Wow. And I read an article recently that talked about how you, you know, I'm talking about dope environments. There's a picture apparently in your office of the peach bowl game or after you guys had, had won that, how, like, was that, was that just like a crazy atmosphere playing in playing in Atlanta, like that type of thing? Especially yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to show you guys this picture. This is probably your listeners won't be able to see this, but I'm in my office here. I'm going to show you this picture. This picture, <laughs> this picture is me in the huddle at Tennessee at in Atlanta. Uh, and this is the first drive um, uh, down at the, uh, the, at the peach bowl. And that was a wild atmosphere too, because you know how Tennessee travels, right? So this stadium was sold out. We're talking about the old Georgia Dome. The old Georgia Dome was sold out um, uh, for this Tennessee Peach Bowl game. And the Maryland section was the end zone. And the Tennessee section was the whole horseshoe. <laughs> we came out of that tunnel and saw nothing but orange. And uh, we shut them up real quick. We ended up winning that game 30 to three, I think it was. And uh, that, that was a fun night and a memorable night for sure. Yeah. Hey, man, y'all dominated Jason Witten. I respect that. I hate <laughs> That's right. Old Jason Witten. Yeah, he was a good one for Tennessee, of course. But we were we, we were hitting on all cylinders that night. That was a fun night. So then post-college, you go uh, pro as an undrafted free agent to the Packers. Uh, what was your uh, draft and pre-draft process kind of like for you? Yeah, um, the, the draft was, um, you know, I, for me, I was, I was undersized. Um, as you guys know, um, you know, I was six foot, 107. I played in the peach ball at 172 pounds. So I, uh, I, I was, I had no business being out on the football field guys. Believe me, you, you understand why you understand why I wanted to be a baseball player, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did I, did I make a stupid decision or what? Um, but, you know, I, I really didn't have any expectations. I was going to ride this thing as long as I could ride it. And I ended up going further than I really thought I would ever go in this game simply because of the lack of genes that my mom and dad gave me. Uh, <laughs> no size, but uh, I had, they call it the oh shit speed, right? I had the oh shit speed, which means I was scared as I don't know what every time I had to run for my life. So <laughs> I was I was pretty fast and I could get away from defenders. And I was pretty good at kind of dancing and moving around in the pocket. Uh, which got me to kind of where I ended up. So the draft process was, you know, obviously I trained for the combine, did all the pre-combine uh, pre workouts. And, and, and you know, I had a chance to get drafted in the sixth round. And I remember Coach Sherman at the time, who was a head coach, called me and said, you know, hey, if we don't draft Scott Wells, who was a center for Tennessee, uh, if he's still available, we're going we're gonna to draft him. If not, if he's gone, we're going to take you. So that was my only shot to really get drafted. And I, you know, I had some family over, but it was more of just to get together than, than anything. Uh, they ended up taking Scott in the sixth round, uh, but they ended, they ended up calling me right after the draft and signed me as a free agent and said they wanted me in green Bay. So I actually went up to green Bay um, and uh, I actually made the practice squad. So that year was myself. It was Brett. Um, it was Doug Peterson, uh, now the head coach for Jacksonville. Uh, and it was Tim Couch who they ended up um, cutting Tim Couch and they kept me. So uh, I guess if there's any claim to fame, I did beat out the number one pick in the draft uh, uh, for, for a practice squad spot. Um, so, uh, but that was a great year for me, obviously learning from the best and Brett, you know, you, you don't get it much better than that. Right. Um, you know, obviously a hall of fame quarterback. I got to see how he 
you know, approaches the game uh, on a daily basis. Um, you know, got got to you know, laugh and be in meeting rooms with him and just, you know, spending more time with him. And obviously he was a guy that I watched as a kid. And then, you know, from there on my lockers next to him. So that was, that was a pretty cool experience. After that season, Green Bay sent me over to NFL Europe and that league doesn't exist anymore, but it was more of a developmental league for guys like me who didn't get reps during the year. Right. Um, and so it was, a, a, it was a season for me to, um, you know, go over to Europe and it's all NFL guys. Right. And it's just a league in Europe. So I played for the Rhine fire in Dusseldorf, Germany. Uh, and that was a great season for me. Uh, I led the, I led that league in every single record there was from sacks, to touchdown passes to rushing yards, to picks, to penalties, to you name it. Uh, I had a good time over there in Europe. You and Brett Favre sharing the uh, interception record, I guess. Oh, uh, dude, I, I did it all. I did it all. I had the longest touchdown run as a quarterback. I had the longest touchdown pass as a quarterback. I threw more picks. I threw more touchdown passes. I did it all over there. So it was fun, memorable. You know, every year it seems like there's more rumors about the NFL expanding to Europe, especially as they keep adding um, games overseas each year. Do you feel after playing in Europe that a team is suitable to stay there permanently for a season? Um. That's hard. You know, um, you know, I, I will say when I was over in Europe, I loved it. Right. We didn't have the following that obviously the soccer's that soccer has over there. We shared the, the we shared our stadium with the city soccer team. Right. Um, the Dusseldorf. I can't remember the name of their team, but they were the um, professional soccer team in Dusseldorf, Germany. And we shared stadiums. So they would play on a Saturday night. We play on a Sunday. Right. And I'll never forget going to one of those games, they'd have 80,000 screaming fans there. And our game on Sunday, we'd have about 20 to 30,000 fans. So we just didn't get the following, right? I mean, we had a great following, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like it's like here in the States, right? Or it wasn't like the following that the soccer team has. So um, I will say the game has grown over there since then. I mean, when I was in Europe, NFL Europe, we're talking 2005. All right. So the game has grown. It's nice to see games over there on a weekly basis. Um, it would be cool to see more games being played over there. I can't say that NFL players want to go over there. Um, you know, it's just hard to travel like that. It's hard to leave your families. It's hard to be over there for more than a week. Guys look at it as more of a pain in the ass than anything else. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, look, um, this is a job and it's a game at the same time. So um, it shouldn't matter where you play nowadays, right? As long as you can buckle up a chin strap and butt heads, it's all you want to do. Yeah. So you're born in Rockville, Maryland. You go to Morgantown, then back in College Park, and then you go over to Europe. Do you have any like, like, how'd you like living there? And also like, do you have any just like kind of, cause when I went to Europe, it's just like a whole different culture, like a little bit. Right. And like, do you have any just like stories where you kind of remember where you were like, whoa, this is a bit like this is different. Like, how'd you love like living over there? And like, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, yeah, I've got a lot of stories that I probably can't uh, repeat <laughs> as much as you guys probably want me to. But yeah, Europe was awesome. I wish I could have played more over there. Um, I had a fantastic time over there. My team was awesome. I met a lot of great guys um from different parts of the country right and you know the teams were all made up of 
a mix of NFL guys, right? And they would all, they literally had a draft. So my team was a mix of, you know, obviously guys throughout the league. And we just got tight, man. We got to know each other. You know, one of the downfalls is when you put 22, 24-year-old kids over in Europe, right? And they've got some money, um, you know, they're, they're going to do some crazy things, right? And so for us, our downfall for our team was, we went out 16 of the first 18 nights over there. And, uh, our records showed it, right? And um, But for us, we wanted to live up the experience. We could care less about playing football. We wanted to live, live up the Europe experience and, and live the European uh, night scene and, and just run around the town of Dusseldorf, right? So um my roommate and I at the time uh was a tight end Jason Raider who played at Marshall he was he was a wild Indian and, and you know I wouldn't say that he had to twist my arm too much but you know there were many nights that I kind of wanted to kind of sit at home and uh you know do my thing and he twisted my arm to to go out on, on the town so our GM pulled us in at a team meeting and said guys I, like you know, I, I know you guys are trying, but you guys have gone out 18, 16 of the first 18 nights. We can't have this. So um, he shut that down real quick. And we ended up kind of winning some games after that. But, uh, you know, that I, I will say it was it was probably a good thing that I wasn't over there for more than a year, because who knows if I'd be here today if I still was. Still <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Oktoberfest was uh, a little bit fun. Yeah, no, it was it was. Uh, it, it was a great experience and uh, it was something I'll remember forever. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like it was uh, quite the experience. But you also played in the CFL. So what were your experiences like in Canada and any like major differences between just the play style and like the culture of the teams in the CFL? Yeah, Canada was a, was a wild game. Um, you know, the rules are totally different, right? Um, it's, a, it's a quarterback receiver league. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I was behind another Hall of Famer up there, Anthony Calvillo, who was pretty much the Brett Favre of Canadian football, right? Uh, me playing with the Montreal Alouettes, uh, which I love Montreal. Montreal was another town that was fantastic. Um, and, and that was kind of a that wasn't as cool of an experience, um, you know, uh, as obviously coming from the NFL, you're spoiled, right? Uh, and even NFL Europe. And then you go to Canada and it's 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 not what the NFL is, obviously. So, um, you know, I, I didn't play a whole lot up in Canada. Um, I sat behind a Hall of Famer. Uh, the game was fun. The town was fun. Um, but that was towards the end of my career. And I, I was kind of ready to come home and make some real money uh, at the time. You know, quarterbacks made the most money up there. But back then, you weren't making a ton of money. And I was up there in freezing cold, buckling a chin strap, going to practice every day, not making a ton of money. I was ready to pack it in. So I will say it was a great experience for me. I was up there with Quincy Carter. I was up there with um, with Ryan Dinwiddie. Uh, Quincy Carter played for the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Ryan Dinwiddie played for Boise State. Um, and then Anthony Calvillo, uh, of course. So that, that was a cool experience for me. And the rules obviously are different. You're throwing every down. You only get three downs. You got to punt it on third down if you don't make it. So field's wider. It's longer. You got another guy on the field. It's a, it's a, it's a wild game. That's for sure. Yeah. And then eventually, like you said, you wanted to make some kind of get out of football and you kind of uh, decided to take the journalistic, not journalistic, but broadcasting. How'd you like that? And like doing like radio stuff, you know, for Maryland, like 
was that just kind of like a cool thing like cool little gig you had or is that something you became kind of like passionate about what was that like yeah you know that was something that maryland asked me to do um you know when my playing days were done um you know and, and me being close to college park it was easy for me um and i wanted to be uh, around the game still I still wanted to be affiliated with the program um, and you know just kind of being back with the guys um, and you know doing the radio with Johnny Holiday he's a hall of famer you know I remember he him calling me saying would you ever want to do this and you know I said sure uh, so being in the booth with Johnny was awesome um, you know I, I I told Johnny I was like you know, there, there might be a day where I, I come back once my kids are old and grown, who knows, but Johnny's going on his 45th year, believe it or not. Um, but the radio stuff was cool. I mean, I love being around the program. I uh, love being in the booth on game days and, you know, even traveling with the team and, you know, it kept me involved, which was awesome. Um, and, you know, during my time doing the radio at Maryland, uh, the big 10 network called when we joined the big 10 back in 20 shoot what year was that now you guys might know 2014 or 15 i can't remember whenever or yeah whenever they joined the big 10 the big 10 network called me and said would you mind doing some out of conference games for maryland i said sure so i ended up doing a few years of that and and loved that as well um you know fortunately unfortunately i i ended up having children back then so i have four kids now and when, when i had my second son or my first son, my second kid, I just had, I had to hang it up um, because it, it was just a tough time for me. And I had a job, um, you know, we started technology business 14 years ago. So I was trying to grow that. And I just, I, I had too many things going on. So I had to, I had to hang it up on, on the radio and the TV front. Um, so it was more of a hobby for me. Uh, it wasn't really something that I was looking to get into full time. Uh, it, I just kind of fell into it and I love doing it and I love being around the game and it kept me active. And, um, but, you know, unfortunately, I had to hang it up. But who knows? Maybe one of these days I'll get back in the booth. He still calls me every year saying, you ready to get back in the booth? I say, John, maybe give me one more year, John. He calls me next year. Hey, Scott, you ready to get back in the booth? So he's been doing that for the last five years. So we'll see. Love it. Yeah, maybe once the, uh, the kids get older, you'll get back in the booth, get some more free time. That's right. That's right. We'll see. How much do you uh, still follow uh, Maryland football or do you? Yeah, I follow them. Um, you know, I, I follow them to an extent of, you know, obviously Coach Loxley was, um, you know, I haven't even talked about Coach Loxley. He recruited me out of DeMatha and he was the running back coach at the time. And he wanted me to come to College Park and he believed in me from day one. Um, and I'll never forget, you know, he brought me on to an official visit back in high school. Ron Vanderlinden was a coach. And he thought I had an offer. I mean, he, 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 he had no clue that I did not have an offer. So my mother and I go over there, we go for an official visit. And that Sunday when we're checking out, he, you know, he came to me and he's like, you know, Hey, you guys coming to college park. And I said, coach, we don't have an offer. You know, coach Fanderlin had never offered me this whole weekend. He was like, what? He had no clue. He was like, no, I, I we have an offer. I'm like, no, I don't think you do. And he ended up going back to Vanderlyn and Vanderlyn was like, no, we don't have an offer for him. So Loxley believed in me from day one. He was trying to talk me into walking on at Maryland and becoming a punter. Walking <laughs> on as a punter just to, wow. get me, just to get me on to campus. And then his plan was he was going to put me on scout team as a scout team quarterback. And I was going to prove myself on scout team. That was his plan. But – you know, back then, my mother, single parent, was like, I'm not paying for college. She's got a free ride up at West Virginia Morgantown. We're going to take that. So 
Loxley was like, look, I don't blame you, but um, you know, you're, you're always welcome here. So when things didn't work out in Morgantown, you know, Loxley was the first guy I called and I was like, Lox, I'm, I'm, I'm not going back to West Virginia. He was like, get your ass on campus. Now I want you here. So, you know, Ralph, actually didn't have a scholarship for me i had to walk on and earn it so locks was like look i know you can i know you can beat some of these guys out i know you can earn it get your ass on the campus get enrolled in school walk on for the first couple months and sure enough by end of october ralph pulled me in his office and he had a scholarship for me so that's how it worked out that's so sweet so how like kind of just last questions here wrapping up you think like obviously you said you're close with Loxley and this year they've they've started to put things together it seems like especially with his type of culture and vision and obviously Talia having a great year passing you I we're gonna I'm gonna tell him next press conference that that if you had been there from the jump you he'd have a couple more touchdowns to break but what do you think what do you think about them like just overall this year and and how do you see Loxley here at Maryland like what type of heights do you think they can reach well, first of all, my records are long gone because I didn't throw the ball half the time that those guys throw the ball now. <clears throat> um, you know, I wish I could throw the ball 60 times a game. I just, I just, we couldn't do that back then. Offenses were totally different, but no, I like what Locks is doing, man. I like, I like how he's recruiting. I like the team that he's put together. I like the staff that he's put together. He's the right guy for this job. I've believed in him from day one. And he's moving this program into the right direction. And I think if he can continue to do this on a on a on a yearly basis, and he can keep winning, um, especially winning the games that he's supposed to win, I think sky's the limit for Loxley in College Park, especially with the town that we're in now. Um, you know, this this is one of the capitals of the world athletically, right? On all sports fronts, and um, I think we have the town here locally. And I think Loxley can do it. If he can put it together, man, the shit, he can get the ship rolling in the right direction, which I think he has it. Um, it's just a matter of getting some of those bigger wins, right? Getting the Ohio States, getting the Penn States, getting the Wisconsin's, getting the Michigan's. If he can pull out some of those victories each year, look out. So I'm excited to see where he goes with this thing. Well, thank you, Scott, for uh, joining us. Uh, this has been an amazing interview, and uh, hopefully maybe in a few years we see you back uh, calling games with Johnny Holiday. Join us in the journalism field. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Who knows? If he keeps calling me, maybe he'll get me back one of these years. Yeah. Thanks so much, Scott. Appreciate thank the time. You. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, guys. Have a good night. All right. Going off of that interview, let's keep it with football. So, Sam, big game for the Maryland Terrapins. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so coming off the bye week, the Terps have a – pretty much i would say season defining game here against at wisconsin um obviously going into camp randall's going to be a tough place but they will have their quarterback back as talia tagovailoa is expected to play according to mike loxley um this week in the press conference home wisconsin in kind of a shocking move fired their head coach mid-season paul christ um not usually a thing that the badgers do um but they do have a really um up and coming uh defensive coordinator now interim head coach um jim leonard um, who a lot of Badger boosters and the athletic director um, were very you know interested and high on. He actually has turned down defensive coordinator positions for NFL teams such as the Packers, and the Badgers have really taken off since he um, you know since he took over the head job. Their offense is scoring better. Um, Mike's going to have some guys to talk about, but Graham Mertz is starting to play well. I'm living up to that five star status, um, so it'll be a tough ta tough task for the Terps, uh, especially on the road. 
Um, Mike, who do you think are some guys that uh, Maryland fans should should watch out for? So the number one player to watch for on Wisconsin's offense is running back Braylon Allen. Uh, the sophomore running back has recorded a 870 rushing yards and nine touchdowns this season. Both are the fourth most in the Big Ten. Um, he's also 18 years old, so he has a really bright future ahead of him, not just for his collegiate career, but NFL-wise too. And then the other guy I would say is receiver Chimray DK. Um, the junior receiver, he's recorded 523 receiving yards and six touchdown catches uh, for the Badgers, averaging 16.3 yards per catch. So those two players, they're, they're going to be a tough task for this Maryland defense and really put them to the test. Yeah, definitely, and that's not even the scary side of the ball for Wisconsin. Their defense is really good. Leonard always has a good unit, um, but they're also getting healthier. Starting safety Hunter Wohler and starting cornerback Alexander Smith both return coming off the bye, so both teams getting healthier, and it'll be interesting to see how Leonard um, uses those more experienced secondary in terms of the type of pressure they want to put on Talia. One thing, though, that um, you have with advantage for the Terps is that um, the special teams unit. Obviously, Chad Ryland, great kicker, probably one of the top five in the country. Um, but Wisconsin's uh, kicker is out for the game, um, so they'll rely on Nate Van Les or Nate Van Zelst, uh, who hasn't attempted a kick of more than that, forty that yards. That could be a game changer. And in a tight game, yeah, Brendan, I think that that's gonna could play a difference. Um, I think that if you're Maryland, you really have to limit the possessions in this one. I know your offense is your strength if you're Maryland, but the fact that Wisconsin's defense is really good every year, they are solid. Um, and then, you know, the offense is starting to find its way. You really probably want to limit it down, keep it close, and then let your special teams and your pass rush get after Mertz. Because Mertz, if there's pass rush on him, kind of like all quarterbacks, but especially him, he turtles up, um, and it's it's usually not good. So that's some. those are two keys I'd look for. Limiting possessions, not getting out in tempo as fast, and then also getting after Mertz. Because the Terps pass rush has been pretty solid. Yeah, and I want to touch on quickly the motivational side for this game. Like we talked about last week, Maryland has never beaten Wisconsin, and if Maryland can go into Camp Randall and get its first ever win against Wisconsin, it's going to be a season-defining win for sure, and really a program-defining win for Coach Loxley. And then because of that coming up, you know, there's going to be a lot of hype behind Maryland if they can get this win. Um, so I think Mike Loxley is going to have them fired up on that sense. And just to go off that, like in years prior for Maryland football, this would be a game that we usually pencil in as a loss for the for the Terps. But this year, I mean, the, this is a different Terps team than years past. The defense, they've improved mightily. The offense has so many weapons to go to. So this is a test, yes, but it's going to be a real testament to what this Terps team is. Yeah, I think Mike and Brennan, you're both spot on. I think that on Brennan's point, if the Terps win this, you're most likely looking at a ranking toward the back half of the top 25. Absolutely. I think if Maryland wins this game, they'll be ranked. Yeah, and, and and to Mike's point, I think that going into this game, having the confidence of we can go in there and, and win this game if you're a Maryland player, I think that does a lot. You know, until he is back, and he's shown he can play good. I mean, at Michigan, Michigan's a better defense than Wisconsin, and he was very, very good against them. So I would, um, you know, he not hesitate to say that they're going to have a fighting chance in this one. Yeah, I mean, if you looked at the Maryland schedule before the season, many people would have said that the Wisconsin game is one they're not really going to have a chance in. Um, so the fact that they've made it to this point in the season and have a chance is still big. And to be fair, Wisconsin's also disappointed. Absolutely. They've had year. a very disappointing season. Hey, coming off a pretty sizable win against Purdue, you know, who Maryland game. did lose to. Unfortunately, Maryland did uh, get a couple calls against them and then they lost to Purdue, but. They also Wisconsin also lost to Michigan State in a close one. Yeah. So they've been they've been all across the board. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think that's just there's a lot of different storylines to watch for this one. 
but the number one is obviously if you don't have your quarterback healthy, you're not going to be in a good spot. So Talia is playing well. They got a chance. If he's still rehabbing from that injury, they're probably done. I mean, the fact that he was like a game-time decision for Northwestern, and then, you know, he, obviously he didn't play. Um, but then he had two weeks rest leading up to this game. Yeah. I think he's going to be refreshed, fresh legs. I think he should be good. Yeah, bye week was huge. Getting just that extra, just like Mike said, that extra week of rest. Uh, Billy Edwards was able to take care of business in the uh, in the gun for the Terps. But now Talia's going to take his spot back. So going to be a fun one this weekend, huh? Yeah, another fun one coming up, Cav. Um, got, you know, talk about a team that's really starting to find their way is Big Ten champs. Yeah, Maryland men's soccer, Big Ten champs. Last week, they were able to get the job done against Indiana. The Hoos, they tied 1-1 off of a Stefan Capetti header in the 87th minute to salvage the Big Ten title. And looking ahead in the Big Ten tournament, Maryland is going to play Northwestern this week. And um, earlier in the year, yeah, Brandon, we've, it was not what we expected, the uh, earlier matchup in the season against Northwestern, right? Yeah, the Northwestern match was, uh, they uh, went into Northwestern. Uh, it was a draw. They scored late in the game to, to make it a draw. Um, and that was something that, going to the game, weren't expecting. Maryland's the top seed in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, Northwestern is the lowest seed, the eighth seed. Um, so by that measure, Maryland at home should be able to take care of them. But what do you see for that game, Cap? I see that, mm, honestly, I'm thinking that Northwestern's going to come in. They're going to have absolutely nothing to lose. Maryland, they have a little bit of pressure on them. I mean, they got the unfavorable um, outcome in the regular season matchup, but uh, if Maryland keeps get, uh, gets hotter, I mean, they, they didn't end the season on a win, but they ended the season on a high with that Big Ten title. So I think they're going to try to carry this momentum. The fans will be backing them at Ludwig. We know the, the UMD crew is always out there in numbers supporting and uh, see what the boys can do. But yeah, Kev, the home field advantage is going to be a, a huge thing for them and um, I think that on a Friday, you know, at seven, like people will be there, people will be supporting. You got to think that that'll add a little bit of extra kick to the to the Terps' chances. Yeah, I think um, emotions are definitely gonna be running high. Just gonna, they're gonna be, they're gonna feed off the energy of the fans. You know, they have that back in them. They have, they're just feeding off the the crowd, the chance that the crew puts out, and then they're just gonna have to show out for the fans. Really, that's that's all it boils down to. They're gonna have to get the job done by any means necessary. It doesn't have to be pretty all goals count the same it's at the end of the day the result is what matters yeah i mean just the one thing that turps fans uh, might worry about is whenever a team comes off such a big high they have a lot of confidence and it's easy for them going into the uh, they know they're champions of the big 10 going to the tournament maybe overlook some opponents and start looking to the semifinals and the finals um, and northwestern like you said had a tie early in the season with maryland they know they can hang with them and so if northwestern gets off to a hard, hot start maybe someone to look out for. Yeah, but I think uh, Coach Sasha is definitely going to be doing all he can to keep reminding Maryland that they cannot overlook this Northwestern team as they drew to them 1-1 earlier in the season. And um, he's definitely going to keep – I have a feeling that Coach Sasha is going to keep their heads right in the right space. They're going to be locked in. They know take one game at a time. It's the postseason. You go one by one, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's it's going to be uh, – interesting game especially then they win that that you play indiana or penn state you got some teams um so it'll be a really cool postseason uh for the terps if they're able to pull it out against um uh, northwestern in their first game team who might not have a much uh great postseason is the uh, volleyball team because let me tell you something 
this team is just they've fallen apart at this point. Yeah, Sam. The chances that they make the postseason are slim to none. Um, because and, and Slim has just left town. <laughs> and because, uh, because well, one part of that is the Big Ten doesn't have a volleyball tournament. Uh, and so if they were going to get in to the NCAA tournament, their only real path because of their schedule right now would be to win that, like other sports have, for example, basketball. Um, but because the Big Ten doesn't have that, Maryland season is— They uh, ain't making the postseason. They're not making the postseason. All but over. Um, Maryland volleyball looking to gain a little bit of momentum, though. Uh, 1 p.m. at home on Sunday versus Iowa. Uh, beat Iowa earlier in the season, so— they can win that game, uh, and they have ranked matchups against Minnesota and then against Wisconsin, who are two uh, powerhouse programs in volleyball. So it's going to be tough um, for Maryland to uh, win any of those games. But if they can win the Iowa game and uh, get some momentum, maybe a chance. Uh, Stoll said against ranked Penn State yesterday, so that's a positive looking out for them. But unfortunately for the Maryland Terrapins, not too many positives on the volleyball side of things. Yeah, head coach Adam Hughes, what do you think? about this season in terms of I know we've talked about yeah. this in the past but I mean it, it it's really fallen apart kind of here and I don't think that you know a firing is on the table considering he was extended not too long ago but you gotta be disappointed with the lack of production especially with people like Raynell Jones Sam Sires like all those type of production it's, that come back and, and they didn't really make anything of it they do have a lot of talent if you if you compare it to the entire NCAA field they're not as deep, right? You look at a Nebraska team, they're very deep. Nebraska, you know, if they, they when they played Nebraska, all the kills for, for Nebraska spread out pretty evenly, um, where Maryland had one or two people who had the majority of them. And so that puts a lot of pressure on those t- uh, top talents and kind of, you know, breaks up the chemistry for the team. In terms of job, I think when you look at the Big Ten, there are so many sports that um, the Big Ten is really strong and Maryland is not, right? But the coaches keep their jobs, volleyball, wrestling track very weak programs at the university of maryland very strong programs in the big 10 and i think for the you know people who make the decisions about coaching it's really hard because they know that really no matter what they do it's going to take an incredible switch up of a program for them to start competing in the big 10 because of the consistent powerhouse that the big 10 already has in those programs like volleyball yeah definitely i think that's a super interesting point and um it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the athletic department does um, you know, but you're looking at a team that's that is a powerhouse, and we keep going to this. Um, the field hockey team. Yeah, Mike, talk, talk talk to us about those ladies. All right. So earlier today, they advanced to the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament. They defeated today is Wednesday, we're, Thursday. We're, so we're recording yes, on Thursday, we're recording yeah. on Thursday. They defeated uh, Ohio State five to two, led by two goals by defender Riley Donnelly. Both of her goals was when the game was tied, so they both put them ahead. Um, and then again, um, they had two open netters at the end of the game to extend their lead even more. They're going to face Northwestern tomorrow, Friday at 4 p.m. Northwestern just moments ago advanced to the semifinals for win in overtime over Rutgers. Maryland defeated Northwestern 2-1 earlier this season. Um, former terrific Terrapin Danny Van Rutselaar scored both goals in that game for the Terps. So it's going to be a tough one for the Terps. When you face a team twice in a season, it's hard. When you beat them before earlier that season it's even harder so will the Terps be able to have that same game plan going into Northwestern it's going to be fun to watch and see yeah you talk about um, the one thing in the tournament um, you know from seeding is Maryland obviously didn't get that number one seed because they had the share do you think having to go back to Penn State may bite the Terrapins in the tournament 
So the uh, tournament is played in is only, offsite. It's only in one location, Got it. Columbus, Ohio. My bad. My bad. So they beat the Buckeyes on their home turf today, which was pretty um, interesting. Got pretty it. excited. I could say while watching the stream, you could tell there were a lot of Buckeyes fans there. Mm -hmm. So there was some sort of a home field advantage. Didn't matter much now for the Terps because they still pull through with the W. So. Yeah, I think that the Terps got. I, if I had to have a betting favorite, just because you lost to Penn State, I feel like that might honestly give them added motivation. Yeah. Um, you know, they they seem like they're on a heater right now, and um, that Maryland win or the Virginia win they had, that was just pretty dominating over mm -hmm. a top five team. I mean, I was at that game, um, my first time watching field hockey on, and it was actually a very very cool very cool environment and experience. But back to like the important stuff. Um, it, they just dominated them. Like I'm not gonna sit here and profess I'm a field hockey expert, but it's easy to see when one team is just outclassing the other, and to do that to another top five team, it was very impressive mm -hmm. to watch Missy Mahark's squad, especially on like all sides of the ball, offense, yeah. defense, goalkeeping. Yeah, that Virginia game was just an exemplification of all of that. He had that beautiful Hope Rose goal yeah, that was on sweet. the fast break. Mm -hmm. I mean that that must have touched like seven different players' sticks yeah. before it got to her. And then, of course, goalkeeping. Uh, they shot out Virginia, I believe, correct? Yeah, yep. So, yeah, the Terps are just great all around. It's going to be interesting to see where it leads them. Yeah, definitely. And I'm and watching the NCAA tournament once they get there will be a super interesting thing. I know Mike will be on that, so make sure to check out all of his coverage at TSC. Um, but as we move forward um, to, uh, you know, looking ahead, just a tiny little recap of basketball because we are getting around to that season. Um, the women's team, uh, won both their exhibition games. They look to be in pretty pretty good shape heading into uh, Monday as their first game against George Mason. I will be on site at George Mason. So um, you heading down? I am. I am. Headed Brilliant. Down, headed down to old Virginia. That is Big J right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, TSC is not fun. My trip, unfortunately. But anyway, there. Uh, carpooling. Nice. Very so, nice. Um, but anyway, they they look good. Diamond Miller looks to is looking really good, and Abby Myers. I mean. She's the only perimeter shooting they had yesterday. They made they went fourteen percent from three. She made the only three threes of the day. So they got to figure that out, um, and especially with two tough teams. Jordan Mason's always a pretty solid program, and then South Carolina is a monster. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then Brennan Men's obviously um, season starts on Monday as well. Um, haven't really gotten to see as much exhibition. I believe they play tomorrow. I could be wrong about that, but um, like an exhibition game. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how Willard's squad starts the day off. Um, make sure to obviously watch both those games because basketball season for Terps fan is very exciting. Yeah, some of those exhibition games we learn the people who are going to be big uh, impacts on the team, especially for the women's team. Not quite sure. We talked about transfers in the past. Uh, same for the men's team. Uh, who's going to step up? Will Julian Reese be able to do that? And those exhibition games are where you learn who you are as a team. And even the you know first couple of pre -season, uh, early season games when you don't really, um, you know, the competition is not that strong, and so you can kind of. Um, yeah, you can experiment. Out. Yeah, exactly. And then just one quick note. We were talking earlier with volleyball about, like, coaches and building mm -hmm. culture and all that. I think Willard, I mean, I was looking at the 24-7 uh, sports uh, recruiting rankings earlier today. For next year, uh, the Terps have the 10th best recruiting class so far. Uh, he's pulled through four um, four-star recruits so far. Uh, three, my bad. Yeah, three four-stars. Um, and two from Maryland. Mm -hmm. So, it, so he's doing a great job of, like, getting homegrown recruits, something yeah. that – people have criticized Turgeon about in the yeah. past for not doing that. So. Right. So, obviously, Terps fans will be on high alert for um, those games, but a lot of good games in, on the football side as we turn it over to our segment. 
Um, Give us the standings, Mike. Yeah. All right. So at the bottom, we have Sam and Brendan. I would um, say that. <laughs> so four sad. and five. And uh, the it's, big, it's a tight race. It's a tight race. It's a tight race still. And at the turn, there's a lot of, of weeks season, to go. I mean, you want to talk about a guy comeback. relying on vibes. This is just absolute. <laughs> Is he in the lead? Vibes are high. He's He's not in the lead, is he? He's not in the lead. Thank God. But he started off 0-2-1, and and he's turned his season around now. He's 4-4-1. You've got to respect it. So you've got to respect the performance by Cabot Ireland so far. Cabot collecting cash rebuild. And then, uh, yeah, Big Mike in the lead, 6-3. and There's no way you just referred to yourself in the first (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mike. (laughs) With with all that being said, let's uh, let's hear your pick. I'll start it. So um, my first pick is going to be Tennessee underdogs by 8.5. At Georgia, uh, you're telling me that the best That's offense be in college football, led by their Heisman Trophy candidate QB, is going to be dogs them more than a touchdown. I'm going to take that any day. Dogs, get it, Georgia. I get it. I get it. Sam, very silly. Next up, uh, I got LSU uh, underdogs by 13 and a half versus Alabama. Alabama is not the same dominant Alabama's team that we've seen in the past. Um, of the, course. Yeah, like I, like you said, I don't think they're that dominant team, especially on the road, Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, we also know that um, they had that Tennessee loss, and then it's a night game at Tiger Stadium. The crowd will be crazy, um, and I think it's going to be closer than the experts think. Last, I got Ohio State favored by 38 points at Northwestern. Um, Ohio State just has a dominant offense this year. They've scored 40 or more points in seven of their games so far this season, including all five of their Big Ten games. And then on the flip side, Northwestern is just terrible. I have no idea what Coach Fitzgerald is doing <laughs> up there. They're one and seven and giving up over four hundred yards old, a game. I hope Pat. They have when they are spot. led by a defensive head coach. I mean, how do you have a defense that bad when you're led by him? <laughs> it know, just Mike. doesn't make sense. North, great question. Northwestern, <laughs> Northwestern is very good in Ireland, though. We did learn that. We apologize to any Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, <laughs> Love us. <enthusiasts laughs> if if you're there. a fan of Pat, I'm sorry, but <laughs> he's not doing his job. We right already now. got in trouble for ripping on Scott Frost, <laughs> so maybe we should chill on Pat. But anyway, Brennan, uh, going to your picks yet again. You are relying whoa, on whoa. UMass. Nah, <laughs> you s- stole my thunder there. I would like uh, UConn. Minute men. Minute men, right there. Many men. <laughs> oh God, that's we're gonna get copyrighted. What the heck? Okay, whoa. UConn minus uh, too real. Brian fif- Robinson. Fifteen and a half. Um, against UMass, uh, UConn has had a somewhat successful season by UConn standards. They're four and five. UMass is one and seven. UMass UConn historical rivalry. Uh, um, That's a rivalry. One of the biggest rivalries in oh, sport. Oh, put that over the. I'm Patriots. sorry. <laughs> I would I would say Duke UConn. UNC. No, you've never Ohio's. heard of it. UMass <laughs> UConn. I'm riding once again against UMass. Oh, big time rivalry up in Newport. <laughs> Newport. That's that, where you're from, right? No, New, that's okay. New, New, close uh, enough. Was, <laughs> <laughs> it was close enough. All right. Uh, next game. Uh, back to the Big Ten. Maybe this will make Sam happy. Uh, Michigan uh, minus 26 versus Rutgers. Um, Rutgers has not been very strong, and I think Michigan is just going to go absolutely dominant. Max Mike is going to be saying I'm from Ann Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. And then uh, final pick. Uh, Clemson right now. Eight and zero. Uh, playing Notre Dame. Um, Trash. You like, you like this pick? I don't love that pick. Nice. Three and a half first. Notre yeah, Dame. it's not bad. I think it's strong. I can't get over the rivalry thing. <laughs> the only rivalry UMass has is with the wind column. <laughs> <laughs> Please be nice. Oh, no, that's out of pocket to the minute, man. <laughs> Yes, I'm also going off vibes this week, trying to steal Cavett Ireland's thunder. So we will see how that goes. But first prick, we got Air Force and Army under uh, these two uh, service academies. When you're looking at a total that is ridiculously high, in my opinion, what you got is 40 and a half 
between these two uh, service programs. These We all know. They run the ball. They limit possessions. They run their triple option. There's no way that they're getting up to 30, 40 and a half points. My opinion, that's just not going to hit. You so really I like think Air Force there. is going to run the ball? It's literally in their name. Air. That's a really strong point, Cabot. Very strong point. Get it? Because high point for Army? Ooh, that was good. Uh, it's actually West Point. Oh, 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 that's on me. Ah. Anyway, um, we got another one, and we're going right in the over train as we got over in KSU in Texas, 54 and a half. Kansas State, um, their offense is starting to figure it out. Deuce Vaughn, Adrian Martinez, if he plays this week, should be um, high scoring. And then obviously we know about Texas, Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy. Great connection there, so I like the over in that one, fifty-four and a half, and and a classic Big Ten or Big Twelve throwdown. And then lastly, former Maryland opponent, I don't like this week. Houston plus three versus SMU. If I was a betting man, I'd throw the money line on Houston. I think Houston's starting to figure it out. SMU, uh, Rashad Reese, obviously a stud wide receiver, and Tanner Mordecai, good quarterback. Still don't like the Mustangs in this one. Houston plus three. That's a three. Much week. better pronunciation from the first episode. My good good fix. <laughs> I, um, I would also like to say you said you were going off vibes and then proceeded to give like an in-depth analysis of each of the picks. <laughs> That's not so how that works. Silence. I guess I'm not off vibes. Is this the ad? What is this? Oh, we're getting copyrighted this episode. <laughs> Just turn oh. that off. Good God. <laughs> Nothing like the Edges theme song from WWE to get us going. First pick, Kentucky minus one versus Mizzou. Why not? Second pick, Iowa plus three and a half versus Purdue. Fun fact, Slipknot is from Iowa. Um, third pick, Virginia Tech minus three. The Battle of the Techs. Mm. Georgia Tech's oh, going down. I the rambling it. wreck is nothing but a the mess. The battle of the techs, baby. Virginia Tech, minus three, and that's what we have. All right. That was an incredible session of picks. Moving on to the end of the episode, uh, terrific Terrapin. Let's give one more round of applause to Scott McBride. Hell of an interview. And uh, with all that in mind, Cabot. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Under the Shell, presented by Terrapin Sports Central. It's been a pleasure, and as always... Enjoy the rest of your month.